But I must say that I, I may have to pull an override on that one. And instead of naming it, I can, but I won't, I like push away the pork chop. <laughs> That's catchy right there now. Push away the pork chop. We should rejoice that God calls men of God to have boldness to speak about issues that relate directly to things that you and I face on a daily basis. And uh, sometimes I admit I've been a little afraid to, afraid I might offend someone. But the spirit in which he delivered that, nobody could say, well, he's mad at me or he's angry at me or he's throwing fire and brimstone around. He, there was nothing in that, uh, no fire and brimstone in that. I just detected love. But I will have a mental image of Brother Luke coming in with the piercings on his face and a tattoo on his face, probably for the rest of my life. But sure appreciate that, brother. And I think after the message that he brought there, I'm, I'm not nervous at all about the one that I'm fixing to bring. <laughs> and I have to give credit where credit is due. The title of this series that I want to preach, which, you know, Lord willing, we'll continue in this. We might take a pause here or there. But the title of this series came from something that Sister Tracy said. And uh, so I want to give credit where credit is due. The, the title of the series is Ladies and Gentlemen. <laughs> and that's something that we're very, very familiar with, you know. Somebody gets up and speak, and they say, ladies and gentlemen, I want to speak to you. So the title of this series is Ladies and Gentlemen. And I don't want to come from some etiquette book or anything like that. I want to come from the book, the Word of God, that teaches what it means to be a godly lady and what it means to be a godly gentleman. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, and in the nature of that, the first message as you could probably imagine, is ladies first. <laughs> we want to make sure that we let the ladies go first. And it's not to pick on the ladies first or whatever, because we'll talk about that first, and then we'll look at the men, the gentlemen, and future gentlemen. So let's talk about ladies first, and we look to 1 Timothy, the second chapter. There's some very specific things that the Word of God teaches about how to be a godly woman. And if we're not practicing that as a, as a young woman, then it, it would be very difficult to, to jump into that when, whenever uh, you're an older woman. But let me say this too. When you become an older woman, it does not mean that just because you never learned these things, maybe growing up in a home or whatever, it doesn't mean that you can't adopt them and incorporate them. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest uh, godly women of the Bible did that. Okay? So... 1 Timothy 2, and we want to begin reading in uh, verse 7, where the Apostle Paul kind of establishes his authority to tell us these things. And let me say this, if some of the stuff we talk about, well, somebody says, like Brother Luke was talking on his subject, you know, if you're offended or whatever, some of this you're just going to have to get offended at God over, you know, or offended at the Apostle Paul, because he wrote it, okay? Now, you can get offended at some of my comments about it, but I hope you don't. 1 Timothy 1 and 2 and 7 Whereunto I, the Apostle Paul, am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. He establishes that he has the absolute God-imparted authority to say these things. Notice he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I lie not. I'm not telling you a lie. This is not something that's an option for the child of God. And what he has here from verse 8 on down to the end of the chapter, has to do with public worship. Okay, it has to do with public worship. Now, this does not exclude how we conduct ourselves in private or in, you know, outside of public worship, 
but it is specifically talking about the assembling of the saints in public worship. And notice he addresses the men first. We're going to kind of go through that and then get to the ladies. But he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That is a specific instruction to men in public worship. And then he goes on and he addresses the ladies, the women, the girls. And he says, in like manner also, in public worship also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So if you thought Brother Luke's message was politically incorrect, (laughs) which that's a misnomer, there's no such real thing as that, but if you thought that was politically incorrect, just wait till you hear what Paul says in regard to women and ladies and girls. And I don't know that we could ever, we could say, well, there's never been a time that was more important that we understood what it means to be a godly woman and a godly man. This is totally lost in our culture. But I hope and pray that it's not lost here on you. Okay? Now, he's talking about public worship. And notice he says, let the women adorn themselves. The word adorn is the Greek word kosmeo, which is connected to the Greek word cosmos, the world. You know, anyway, we won't go off on a side note on that, but that's one of the most misunderstood words in the Word of God, the world, you know, and the occurrences of it. What does it mean? This is a derivative of that word, which means to decorate or to put in order. And I think it's very interesting that the Apostle Paul addresses the the ladies in that sense. Now remember, he is writing in a time when women were considered to be property or chattel. Chattel just means property or possession, a purchased possession. So I read in one of the commentaries, even in the synagogue, in the Jewish synagogue, when they would assemble to worship, they had screens up, a screen. And the women would have to stay behind the screen and the men would be out there, you know, in the general population area. You know, we just don't understand that living in the country that we live in. And especially with all of the, uh, the equal rights and all of that type of stuff, which is, which in one sense, it's a great thing. Equality, it's a wonderful thing. But just because we want to see equality in, in, the, in the, the sexes, you know, in male and female, it does not mean that in terms of capabilities and responsibilities and so forth that there is an equalness. Need I say anything more other than talk about women in combat? You know, I mean, it's, it's just absurd. It's, it's cowardly. I've said that before. And we don't want to get off on a political issue. But it's just cowardly to think and foolish to think about equality in the sense of putting a woman out there to fight in a foxhole. It's cowardly. You could ask any person that has any sense that's ever been in the military. We have several that have plenty of sense that are here with us. You see, that's not thinking unequally towards people or treating people differently. That's having common sense. That's what that is. So in this day and time, they were lacking some common sense, the way they were treating women. And so remember, the Apostle Paul comes along and he's preaching equality. He is elevating women and girls to a level that they had never been elevated to. You know, Paul says in one of the books, he says that there is neither male nor female in in the church of God. That doesn't mean that male and female don't have roles, you see. But he says there's neither male nor female. God doesn't look and say, okay, well, I'm going to hold the males in a higher estimation of value. That's that's not how it works. That's not how God has ever viewed women and men. See? 
Men are the ones that pervert that. You know, <laughs> you, you sisters are probably wanting to amen that. But I mean, mankind, you know, men and women are the ones that pervert the way that God views male and female. See? Is it not even worth noting just the very idea of being able to change your, your sex, male or female, thinking, well, I'm this one day. I'm... That, is, that is the ultimate perversion of the way God views male and female. See? So the Apostle Paul comes along. He's not anti-women. He is elevating women to a status that they've never been before. And in that elevation of saying there's neither male nor female in the church of God, he still comes and says, here are the roles and the characteristics that men and women should possess. You see that? So don't think that he's being chauvinist or something like that. He's bringing the women out from behind the screen in the synagogue. You see? There's neither male nor female. So he says that when it comes to public worship, and this applies even out in the public sector, but when we're gathered for public worship, he speaks of modest apparel. The Greek word is cosmeo, which means decorate or put in order. The definition is a decorous, a decorous, Costume, well arranged. <laughs> look, Brother Luke's already kind of shocked us here this morning, so I'm going to shock you. You know, what if I walked in like this right here? Or I walked in on my hands with this on my, my, my shoes on my hand. That's just kind of dumb, isn't it? Y'all would pay, as Brother Luke's already laid the wonderful groundwork for my message, y'all would pay more attention to this for the rest of the time. You know, I could, remember the band aid? <laughs> Remember, was it a purple Band-Aid or a pink Band-Aid? Everybody's watching the Band-Aid, not even paying attention to anything that I'm saying. I mean, what if I came in with my pants on my head and my arms stuck through my, my pants holes, you know? Or my, my shirt on my bottom side and my, le my legs and feet through the sleeves of the shirt. I mean, I'd look like a doofus, wouldn't I? <laughs> Y'all already probably think I look like a doofus, but that's okay. I'm so thankful that I have a very amazing wife in that area because she dresses me all the time. You know, I say, does this match? You know, does, you know I look, I've, I've gone out a few times when she didn't have a chance to take a look at me and I look like a complete doofus, you know? Not orderly. I'd have the checkered with the checkered, you know I mean? You know, I don't even get the, I'm not trying to gripe or anything, you know, but I don't get the mismatched socks. I just don't get that. You know, one type sock, the other type of sock. I'm not going to court looking like that, okay? You know, decorous to be adorned in a, in a well-arranged way. If I walked in with my shoes on my hands, y'all think I was a complete, I'd lost my mind. Now, this is not the only place where the Apostle Paul talks about orderly arrangement in dress, where the Apostle talks about it. The Apostle Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 3. We're not going to turn there yet, but he, he basically backs up everything that the Apostle Paul says. I mean, they're just very much in line with one another. The Apostle Paul says, In like manner that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness. Now, that word has stirred up a lot of, of feminist ire. And I think it's unnecessary if you look at the definition of the word. Shamefacedness does not mean, you know, somebody walks around you know, like this. Webster's English Dictionary definition of that from that time meant that the person was bashful when it came to their interaction with another man. Bashful. And that's not, it's considered a virtue to be bashful in that area. 
It was not considered, you know, oh, that she, that person is just doesn't have a personality, you know. No, it meant that they were they had a conscious effort in their life not to embarrass someone that they were dealing with, specifically a man. And it means that they were conscious of how they presented themselves. So it's not them walking around with a veil on their face or their hand covering their face. There's only one other place where this word occurs. It's in Hebrews 12 and 28. And it's in reference to God and it speaks of being reverent. So the word shamefacedness is the same thing for reverence when it speaks of God. So you want to be reverent and shamefaced in the sense of, Lord, you know, I'm not just going to be brash and, you know, push the limits when I approach you. That applies to men and women, you see. It can also mean another word which is very interesting called shamefastness. It, it has a connection to that word too. Shamefacedness also is connected to shamefastness. And that is a word we absolutely don't use anymore. But the word shamefastness, it means modest or humble and virtuous. Uh, it's, it's rendered from the word modesty. And in the Greek language, I, wanna, I don't want to pour too much Greek on you, but in the Greek language, there were two distinct characteristics of shame. Okay, One was to be shamed or ashamed because something was dishonorable. Okay, the other reference to shame had to do with modesty. <laughs> so that's what the word means. It, it is a direct reference to modesty. In the good sense, it means a person is modest. To be fast in something, you know, shame fastness or bashful fastness, it means to be firmly fixed, steadfast. I like this one, watertight, strong, fortified, firm, and solid. That's what shame fastness means the person is solid in the area of how they present themselves you see now the opposite of that if it helps you understand it a little bit better is pushing the boundaries you get that the opposite is well i'll just push the boundaries as far as i can it ought to be something that young ladies older ladies what ladies of any age ought to think about you know at a certain age young people girls and boys, young men and young women, they push the boundaries, don't they? <laughs> they push the limits. <laughs> I was telling my kids the other night, or Sister Lila, I don't think, I, I can't remember which ones have heard my boring old stories, so sometimes I retell them, you know, to the kids. And Sister Lila had never heard this story, but I was coming home one night. Mom's already forgiven me for this, but I was past my curfew. <laughs> I was pushing the boundaries, and I was driving an old Bronco 2 before I had the Bronco. And it come around the curve there and reform on the backside of town because I thought I could get through town quicker and get home before I got a paddling from dad. I think I was 25. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I was probably, I was 16 or years old. And as I come around the curve there, there's no light or anything for the, for the railroad. And they just happened to have an, a, a, thank God it was sitting still. A train engine was sitting 10 feet off behind the trees with this light on. It wasn't moving. But when I came across the railroad track doing 100 miles an hour and I saw it, I almost jumped out of my chair into the other side. I thought I was dead. And the first thing that came to mind was, if I just wasn't late, <laughs> if I'd just been on time, I was pushing the boundaries. When you're young, you push the boundaries. Now look, the sickness that infects our culture and land is people that have pushed the boundaries when they're young continue to push them as they get older. You see? We all go through that phase of pushing the boundaries. 
And that's what this is indicating right here. The opposite of pushing the boundaries. It doesn't mean you don't have a personality and you're like a robot. And, you know, it doesn't mean that. But it means your mindset for this shamefastness is not to push the boundaries. You see? So, it says... In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness or shamefastness, bashfulness when it comes to the way that they dress, and sobriety. What do you think that CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News would do with this sermon? <laughs> they would absolutely crucify me. It's so old fogey, it doesn't have anything to do with it. And yet it does. You know, God's Word is not old fogey. It's, it's, it's so timely. Did you know that my grandmother, McCool, she never even owned a bathing suit in her life. So, well, how, she was so deprived. How did she make it? <laughs> she never even owned a bathing suit her entire life. She didn't even really know what they looked like. You know, she, I know lots of dear, dear sisters in Christ that have that type of shamefastness. But she, I think of her when I think of that. You know, it wasn't even on her radar that that was needed, you see. But look, I'm not saying, I'm not ruining your swim party or your pool party. I'm not here to do that. I'm just trying to say what the Word of God says about these things. Do you want to be a godly lady? Do you want to be a godly man, a gentleman? Okay? The next one, he says, sobriety. Now, we think of sobriety in terms of alcohol consumption or lack of it. But sobriety in, a, in the root word means a sound mind or self-controlled. It does mean moderate in desires and actions and especially abstaining from strong drink. It means the person is not a drunk, okay? It, but it means more than that because it has to do with self-control, see? So be self-controlled when it comes to your presentation of yourself. Now, here's where you say, well, those are really picky. What do you see the next one? <laughs> Not with broided hair or gold or pearls. Now, I did a little bit of research on this because you'll find Peter speaks of braided hair. Right. Say, what well, you know, somebody may have braids here this morning. Don't run out crying and screaming and cut your hair or cut it out or pull it out. Look, let me tell you a little bit of the history of what he meant there. It was believed to be a common practice among the fertility cults. You remember me speaking about the fertility cults? They worship reproduction. It was believed that some of the fertility cults encouraged women that were barren or women that had not had children to do things with their hair to make them more fertile. I mean, it's, it's like an old wives' tale. But at the same time, there's a hint of truth in it because think about it. If, if this girl was not getting noticed... You know, maybe she'd go and do something to her hair and all of a sudden you'd say, whoa, you know, I never noticed her before. Well, that was not a good thing in the fertility cults, you see, because women were considered property. You get that? So the, the idea, part of the idea behind it is attacking those fertility cults, okay? Where some false god or some priest of a false god has said, well, you need to fix your hair better so you'll be more attractive. You get that? But at the same time, understand what this looked like. I actually did a little bit of research and look. I know they didn't have pictures, but there were some paintings and portraits and things like that of what men and women looked like back in the days of, of, of this culture, Greek and Roman culture. And sometimes the women would take gold and silver and they would intertwine that in their braids. 
You know, you might think of some of the divas that are on stage nowadays. You know, they got these, these, this hair going on. And, you know, imagine how distracting it would be if, if a woman or a girl or a young woman walked in and she had this elaborate hairstyle with sparkling silver and gold intertwined within it. You know, it's almost like the light hits it and it's kind of dazzling, you know. <laughs> when I was studying that, it made me think about when I was, I'm telling off on myself, but I'll be happy to tell off on you if you'll give me some stories, but... <laughs> When we were going to church and I was in my teens, early teens, I had gotten a new watch and it was a silver top watch. And so the way the building set where the church that we went to, the sun would shine in kind of the back or the front. I can't remember which end it was, but it was very bright in that church building. And so, you know, back in those days, like, like some of you poor fellows who are praying right now with your eyes closed, uh, you know, I'd sometimes pray during church, you know, try to keep awake. Well, I noticed that there was a light you know, one of these little reflection lights on the back of behind the preacher. Preacher's just up there preaching. I don't remember what he said. I was half asleep. <laughs> but when I noticed that there was a light behind the preacher, I thought, well, I wonder who that is. You know, I started looking around and lo and behold, you know, I figured out it's my watch, you know. <laughs> and so I sat there for about 15 minutes going, woo, woo, woo. you know, the thing was just going all over. And, and you know, you can see people around the room just, you know, nobody's listening to the preacher. Now, I had enough Moral turpitude, you can look that up. I had enough conviction to not put it in the preacher's eye. But I did put it on a suit a time or two, you know. It's <laughs> so distracting. That's what I thought about. Anything that distracts you from what we're here for, male or female, there's nothing wrong with fixing your hair. You should. <laughs> but you think about how that would take away the attention. Everybody would be like, whoa, man, that sparkles, you know. <laughs> like some diva on TV singing a song, you know. It just sparkles and it just dazzles your eyes. We're not here to be dazzled by hairstyles. We're here to be dazzled by the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see? And if it's my watch, you know, distracting somebody, I mean, I take it off. You know, I'm just glad mom and dad never caught on to that. It was me. But knowing their wisdom, they'd always come back and say later, yeah, we knew it was you. <laughs> Almost practically. You remember the time I did that? Yeah, we knew it was you. <laughs> You know, they were wise beyond their years. You know, I didn't think they had any sense, you know, back when I was in, uh, in elementary school and high school. But they had infinitely more sense than I did. You guys remember that, especially young guys. Your parents have plenty, plenty of sense. So the Apostle Paul is not just picking on hairstyles. He's picking on a specific thing that distracts the worshipers away from worshiping God. You see, he says, not with broided hair or gold or pearls interlaid within that hairstyle, you know, and he says also, or costly array. Now, that word costly, phrase costly array means extremely expensive clothing. All right? Look, I don't think that needs any real explanation. If, if all that a person was about was their clothing, then they're missing the whole point of what it is to present themselves. You see, I joke and say to Sister Tracy all the time, she'll, she'll come in with a new shirt or a new dress or, you know, skirt. You know, I, I call it a dress. She says it's a skirt. And I'll say, where'd you get that? And I'm not going to tell you where she says she got it from. But I tell her, you make it look like it came from, you know, whatever one of those expensive places are. You know, you, you make it look amazing because of who you are, not because of what you're wearing. You get that? And it's just, Tracy, if that was way over the line, we'll, we'll take that out of the podcast, okay? But 
she doesn't only, I mean, she buys up clothes from other places too, but you understand, it's not about the expense of the clothing, it's about how you present yourself, you see? And think about it, if all of the sisters of the church came in with the, the most decorous and expensive type clothing, that's about all we talk about. Did you see that brand? Where'd it come from? Oh my goodness. And then there's that poor little person over there who, who maybe couldn't afford to go to that place and they're jealous because they didn't get a chance to buy clothes like that. You see, it's not about presenting a, a picture of yourself that brings attention to yourself. It's, but listen, let me say this too. It's not about you know just coming in you know, absolutely looking horrid. It's not about that. I remember years ago, y'all probably heard this story, but this lady was coming to visit Bethlehem. We were over there and she was like, now y'all are primitive, right? I said, yes, ma'am, we are. We're primitive. <laughs> and she said, do we wear makeup down there? And I was like, please don't ever show up by church without makeup on, please, okay? <laughs> you know, primitive doesn't mean, the primitive church doesn't mean they showed up with no makeup and wearing, wearing a sack, you know? Y'all wouldn't want to see me wearing a sack. I try, to, I try to wear the best that I have. And I'm, I'm sure sometimes I've worn the same thing two weeks in a row because as the older I get and the more things I have in my mind, the less I can remember what I did wear. I've actually worn the same thing to the office two days in a row. That's how crazy I am. But I try to wear something that is, presents me in the best that I can before the Lord. I don't want to wear my shoes on my hands and I don't want to wear my trousers on my head. Because that's not appropriate. That's not orderly. See? Now, I'm, I'm fine with you thinking, well, you, what you're wearing is nice, Brother Tim. You know, you presented yourself. And I, that's great. I'm glad maybe you think that. But the most important thing to me is my presentation of myself before the Lord. You see? Now, let's talk about the opposite of that real quickly as we bring our thoughts to a conclusion here this morning. Proverbs, the seventh chapter, gives you a picture of quite a different person. It's called the strange woman in Proverbs 7. And it says, let's read in verse 5, Proverbs 7 and 5, that the wisdom that Solomon is imparting here is to keep thee, verse 5 of chapter 7, keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked through my casement. That's my window. And I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Some of the most foreboding language that you can find in the Word of God. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. Now, Mr. Gill, Mr. John Gill, back in the 1600s, wrote this. He was a Baptist preacher, and he wrote that the phrase, attire of a harlot, the phrase signifies fitted to her body, fitted to her body that leaves nothing to the imagination. Now, how politically incorrect is, was John Gill? <laughs> and how politically incorrect am I? I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm trying to teach God's people what it means to present themselves in a godly way before the Lord. <laughs> Listen to me. And I'm trying to keep it you know, soft and light at the same time. Sister Tracy bought me, I can't believe I'm telling this, Sister Tracy. So you may tell me to take this out of what I'm saying about myself. But Sister Tracy, a few years ago, and I'm not going to say anything about Brother Luke either because he, he understands this, but, but Sister Tracy, a few years ago, bought me a pair of jeans. The most comfortable jeans I have ever slipped into. And they were stretchy jeans. <laughs> 
You know, I'd stand there before the mirror and you could take those things and you could, I'd pull them out just as far as I could. You know, I mean, and at first when I saw them, I was like, I'm not wearing that. That looks like some, some doofus would wear that. Well, the doofus got in those jeans. And man, I'd wear them sitting around the house. I'd wear them lounging around. I'd wear them to work. I'd wear them to the farm. I mean, I literally wore them to pieces. Now, they don't make any money off of me because when I get something I like, I'm going to wear it as long as it'll last, okay? Y'all can see my Bronco to know that. I'm going to drive it as long as it'll drive, okay? But that was the most comfortable pair of pants that I've ever put on in my life. And, I, and I've got some others since then, but they still don't match that first pair. <laughs> there was something different about it. They made that one, maybe they made that one on a Friday instead of a Monday. <laughs> That's the most comfortable pair of pants that I've ever put on in my life. And they were stretchy, you know. Look, if I came into church or went to my office or went to court and put on the tightest pair of form-fitting pants. did Some of y'all came to the Dwight Yoakam concert out there in Zion a few a year or so ago. I mean, that was embarrassing, what Dwight wore. <laughs> you know, the tightest pair of pants that you could wear where you know, I can hardly walk, you know, but man, everybody can see the form of what I, I am, you know. Uh, thank God the stretchy jeans were not like that. They were very loose and comfortable. But think about the stuff that you see men and women, but specifically women walking around wearing today. It leaves nothing to the imagination. It is absolutely form-fitting to a vulgar extent. You understand? Now that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at right here. That that's what Solomon in his wisdom said, this strange woman who shows up in completely form-fitting clothes, he says she's an embarrassment to God. See, it's not about an embarrassment to Brother Tim or an embarrassment to your mama or your grandmother, but it's not a bad idea to take the, the, you know, the grandma test. I often think, I wonder what Grandmother McCool or Grandmother Springer you know, would have said about this. <laughs> you know, they, she'd have been embarrassed over this. The form-fitting, tight type of attire, that's what he's talking about right there. And you know what he says about that? He says, it is the attire of a harlot. A harlot was a girlfriend for hire, to put it mildly. Okay? So, listen, according to Solomon, everybody that wears something like that... By the way, this woman was not a harlot now. She was a married woman. This woman was a married woman in Proverbs 7. But she had the attire or the clothing of someone that dressed like a girlfriend for hire. Is that a little too real? <laughs> this word of God. It's not my take on it. It's the word of God. So let me read you one more thing as we close. And I think this is, this is some humorous language. People say, well, you know, God doesn't really care what we wear. Yes, he does. He does care what we wear. <laughs> And the question you have to ask yourself, ladies of all ages, is do you want to be a daughter? Do you want to present yourself as a daughter of the king or a daughter of the world? That's the question you have to ask yourself. You say, well, Brother Tim, how will I ever get noticed? God will take care of that. First, you want God to notice you. And then God will promote you to where you need to be into whatever situation you need to be in. Let God notice you first. Be daughters of the king. Isaiah 3, and I'm going to read in verse 12. You say... This is part of God's condemnation on the nation of Israel. Okay, listen to this. It's kind of funny. And then we'll close. Isaiah 3 and 12. 
Isaiah said, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy past. The Lord standeth up to plead, and standeth to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people and the princes thereof, for ye have eaten up the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What mean ye that beat my people to pieces and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord of hosts? So what does that have to do with the way women dress? Well, you fixing to get that. Moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go. I wonder what mincing meant. And it, it basically just means they're characteristically flirtatious. Y'all don't want me to demonstrate because you, you, that's all you'd remember. But they're just characteristically flirtatious in the way that they present this. Oh my goodness. And I did demonstrate a little bit. Oh goodness. You know, they're just constantly in flirtatious mode. And they make a tinkling with their feet because they have these bracelets on their feet. Therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion and the Lord will discover their secret parts. Now watch this. In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet and their calls and their round tires like the moon. The chains and the bracelets and the mufflers, the bonnets and the ornaments of the legs and the headbands and the tablets and the earrings, the rings and the nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins. I have no idea what all these things are. The glasses and the fine linen and the hoods and the veils. And it shall come to pass and instead of sweet smell, there shall be stink. And instead of a girdle, a rent. And instead of well-set hair, baldness. And instead of a stomacher, a girding of sackcloth and burning instead of beauty. <laughs> Don't tell me for a second that God's not looking at what we wear. It was very specific. I can see him. I can see God just going from head to toe of these women or this woman and just saying, I've got a problem with this and with this and with this and with this and with this. He's just wearing them out. He's judging a nation because of the way that people were presenting themselves. I don't tell that to you to scare you. Because it's not scare you, scare you, saith the Lord. It's comfort you, comfort you, saith the Lord. But aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God would care enough about you that He'd look all the way down to the very things, the little details about what we wear? Usually I have a little flag, you know, pinned to my lapel. I've, sometimes when I get my suits clean, you know, I, I can't find them and get them back on there. But I, I don't just put what's on my suit flippantly. You know, I don't just pick out a tie, well, because, you know, I just grab one. I try to put some thought into it. I thank God I put my wife's thought into it. <laughs> but the way I present myself, God's looking at every little detail about how we present ourselves. And the Apostle Paul is teaching it's very important when it comes to your presentation of yourself, be whether you're male or female, God is looking at us. Don't you want to be a daughter of the King rather than a daughter of the world? Now, don't worry, ladies. The reckoning day for the gentleman is coming, okay? <laughs> We're not just picking on the girls, but we wanted to go ladies first. And this is just Paul's address to them about proper attire in public worship. We haven't even got to other characteristics that, that are different than that. So would you pray for me <laughs> that... The Lord would help me continue to be politically incorrect <laughs> whenever it comes to these things and be very, very biblical. And I don't want to sound mean or upset or angry or anything like that. And if any of you brothers are interested in where you can get some of those stretchy jeans, just, just see me after the service, okay? There might be one or more here that would like to follow the Lord. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.